I welcome uh, this evening to our midweek service, and we've been spending some weeks talking about the power of fellowship. Last week, we got into uh, highlighting accountability, you know, just uh, the value of accountability. And um, we, we might not necessarily end it with this scripture, but we discussed the scripture. So I want to go to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. We'll kind of pick up there in some of the things we've talked, we talked about from last week and then get into what the Lord wants to talk about this week. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. This is the uh, classic Amplified Version. This has a little different twist. I just like that better. Um, so Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, have this same attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid to lose it. And, and right there, it's just talking about how they remember when Adam was able to tempt Eve because he had to get her to question that she was enough or she had enough already. So it was like, okay, yeah, if you, you eat this, you could be like God, which she already was. And she didn't have to prove nothing to him. And remember his same temptation with Jesus when he took him up, you know, to the mountains, you know, you know, if you, if the Bible says if you cast your foot against a stone, the angels will protect you or whatever. But he was trying to get him to prove he was the son of God. But Jesus had to know he was the son of God. Right? And so that's what that was referring to here. Right? Uh, where did I end up? Uh, did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. Didn't try to control or try not to lose it. Was secure in what he had. Jesus was secure in what he had. But emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity. So he gave up the things that would give him props to man, right? But he held on to what would keep him connected with God, right? It says, by assuming the form of a bond servant. Notice it says the form. So, so in his presentation, the form that he took on as a bond servant, or, or I know the King James Version says on the form of a servant, that form he takes on, he's not going to get a lot of accolades and props. Like, he's not, like, it's, it's, see, when it says, let this mind be in you was also in Christ Jesus, see, for him it wasn't about reputation. It wasn't about looking good. It wasn't about what people thought. And so a lot of times we work hard to make sure we look a certain way. And it's been hard for us to grasp the form of a servant. We can operate in fellowship a whole lot better if we all can just take on the form of a servant. It's not about our positioning, who gives us props, who disregarded us or not, right? And then it says, and being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. After he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So, so, so this process here where it says take on the mind of Christ Jesus, there's a level of humility for him just being a, deciding to take on the form of a servant to look like a man. Just that alone, because you have someone who's already the son of God. So that if, if that's all he did, that was a whole lot for us. But he took it further and was obedient, like served as we should unto God unto death, even the death of the cross, right? And so, so, so the reason why I brought this back out, because we were talking about some things uh, last week uh, about Moses. Let's look here at Hebrews 11.25. Hebrews 11.25.
And I'll start with verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So we talked about ages of accountability. We talked about an age where, you know, when you at a certain point where you're about to inherit some things because you've been raised up by the Pharaoh's uh, family. And so, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was going to give him props. Verse 25, it says, choosing rather to suffer, the, suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Right, so, so, so now here he had an opportunity to, be, to, to get props, but instead of getting the props, he embraced what was going to give him, connect him to God more than what was going to give him the props of man in that particular time. So, you know, he suffered the affliction with the people of God rather than escaping accountability by running to seasonal pleasure. And so, so, so sometimes we do that. We escape accountability by running to seasonal pleasures because it's all about, you know, what's going to comfort us or what's going to make us look good. We don't embrace the very thing that's really going to empower us to the greatest. And so this accountability that we've been talking about and this power of fellowship, see, again, in a process of fellowship, it's humbling. You got to learn how to flow. Something I'm really uh, praying for my grandson because my grandson is, you know, he's trying to grow in basketball. He wants to be a part of a team. But I'm, I'm, I'm praying that he embraces the humility to harmonize with a team. So you got to think outside of yourself to flow with a team. You might have to take a lesser position that's better for the team win to elevate to a higher position. You know what I'm saying? But it's hard. The process is what I went through. You know, when I got to college, they made me a point guard. Was so it a point guard? Just making sure everybody else gets the opportunity to score first, or and well, well at least that's how I saw it. But I just like scoring. I just like shooting. I was like, why? Why I got to do this? this? This is not fun because I had to think and I had to learn and I had to know where he needed to be. Where he? It was like just too much stuff. Just give me the ball. Let me shoot. That's all I want to do. And it was really agonizing when I first started to learn it. It was agonizing. But you know why I was agonizing? Because I had to think outside of me. I had to consider everybody else first. I had to put myself in a position of what's the best opportunity for us to win versus what's the best opportunity for me to win. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And this is what we have to do when we become a part of fellowship. And this is what Christ did. What's best for the, the whole family, right? And it's best that I give my life. So everybody can have power, right? That's what's best, right? And so when we talk about this power of fellowship, the Scripture says this. It says in the multitude of counsel, there's, there's uh, safety. Or it says uh, uh, where no wise guidance is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsels, there's safety. Uh, I just read the Amplified Version of Proverbs 11.14. Proverbs 11.14, it says, Where no wise guidance is, the people fall, right? It says, but in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. It's basically saying in a multitude of counsel is the power of fellowship. So, so, so when I get around a multitude of, of, of wisdom, insights, and assessments, as we were talking about last week, in 1 Corinthians 6, the people that can properly assess. But we, like, like think about how we, we, we roll in our lives. You know, I keep putting myself on the line in these teachings, but I need you guys to start to reflect on how we actually operate. Like, think about when we got to a point where, for the most part, ain't nobody telling us what to do. And anytime somebody assesses anything, excuse me, so, so, so you're going to do what? Well, I don't really think you should do that. We get so tight and defensive, like, because we look at it as something's wrong with us. Nothing's wrong with you. You, you, You're navigating through life. You make choices based on what you see. You have God sends people in our life to show us what we can't see. Together, we win. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? But we think if somebody shows us what we can't see, we should have already seen it. We should have already thought about it. We should already know better. No, but, but, but uh, I, I've, I've been uh, working on some things. I've been working on a book. And so, so uh, one of the things, uh, there's a segment in there that just talks about 
just our sight and how we see and how we process through. Sometimes we can get delusional. Sometimes we can get blinded. But the interesting thing is there's a reason why we're two-dimensional. Like we see due to two-dimensional. You look in the mirror, you really don't see all of you. You think you do. But you can't see the, the, the three- or four-dimensional person. You're not even designed to see that way. The reason why, you have to depend on other people and you have to walk by faith. You can't see everything. Even when you say you saw yourself. No, you didn't. You saw a part of yourself from a, a two-dimensional view. You didn't see all of you. It's impossible. At one time, you're going to be where you are and be in the satellite at the same time looking at the satellite. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just can't do it, right? So, so you really don't know all of you. Like, like, like uh, for years as we were growing in our relationship, my wife would like, she would talk about my faces. But I can't see the face. You know what I'm saying? So I have, like, I don't feel the face. I don't see it. I have no idea. And I used to be like, man, listen, I can't jump outside my body and change the face. Like, I, I, I said, I'm going to have to take your word for it, but I don't see it. And, and even if you tell me how it looks, I'm not going to see it. Because I, if, let's say if you, you send me to the mirror. Well, by the time I go to the mirror, I'm going to be looking a different way, right? Right? You see what I'm saying? Or we used to be walking and, and she might see something. And then she would look at me. I was like, well, babe, if you're looking at me, then you can't be looking at, you can't be looking at what I'm looking at and looking at me at the same time. Something's wrong with that picture. <laughs> right, because we're not designed to see that way. You see what I'm saying? But what happens is sometimes we incorporate our feelings into our sight. So, so it's not necessarily reality of what we see. It's how we feel we see, right? Now, now I'm saying this because when you get around a multitude of counsel, people are actually giving you different points of view because they can see various points of view. That's why there's four Gospels. There's four angles of how you see. I mean, again, it's not east, west, north, and south, but if there was, uh, if they were four Gospels, one person would see the front of Jesus. One person would see the right side. One person would see the left side. One, side, one person would see the back. So you would be getting all perspective of Jesus. But in this particular case, one person is hitting maybe the details. One person is hitting the deity, like John, right? Another person is hitting a, another aspect of Jesus' life, and another person is hitting another aspect. You're getting the full gospel. You're getting the whole picture. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so it's, it's, that, it's like that in our life. God sends us people that's writing out our full gospel. But we're rejecting some of what they're seeing because we don't see it. Or because what they're seeing, we don't like. But it's not about what we like. It's about what, because what they see, let's say they, they show you something, you don't like it. Then change it. Shift it. You know, like when you think you look a certain way, then you look in the mirror, and you be like, whoa. <laughs> listen, I told you, that's how I've, I've, I've worked to stay in shape, because of something called a mirror. Like, I, at full length, I look, I look in the mirror, I'll be like, whoa, dude, come on. We're going to have to do better than that. Well, I can, I'm dealing with the... Re so if I don't like it, what? I can change it. If not, what am I complaining about? It's the reality of my choices is right there in the mirror. Right? Does that make sense? You watching out there. Does that make sense? No, I'm not talking to Marcus. I'm talking to you. All right. So, so let's look here at uh, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And we're talking about the power of fellowship, but we're talking about, we talked about the level of accountability, but we talked about how, how in similar in Jesus and Moses' case, it, for them it was about the whole more than it was about self. Because if Jesus was, because if Moses was about self, he'd have just rolled with the pledges in Pharaoh's kingdom. But he was about the whole, he was about the fellowship. Right? Jesus, if he was about self, he'd be like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm son of God. I'm good. I'll just stay with my reputation. But he gave himself. The scripture says he became poor that we might be rich. Right? I, I told you that the other week. So Matthew 18, and we're locking on verse 19. It says, again, I say unto you, if, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together 
in my name, in my honor, there, I, there am I in the midst of them. So something happens when you get into fellowship and you get in agreement, right? Something happens. Look, look, the Scripture tells us to confess your faults one to another. If nobody's there, who are you confessing your faults to? But it's saying, like, like, like keep yourself in a vulnerable position so the accuser can't accuse you. See, if I confess my faults, what do you have to accuse me of? Right? I've already confessed them. They're already out there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's exposed. You know, we have a, a statement that we make and we try to share with people in counsel. It's not ex- exposed, can't be helped. I was talking to somebody earlier today and they were saying the same thing. It was like, man, if, you, if, 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 if we don't bring this into light, how are we going to help it? Like, we're gonna, we'll be stuck with it. So we have to expose it for it to get help. And we do this when we go to the doctor's office. We tell people this in counseling. Go to the doctor's office. They tell you to fill out the sheet. You start filling out the sheet. I've been saying this for years, right? Like, they don't be asking you, like, like they don't adjust the sheet because, well, this is going to be sensitive. And we start asking about their drug habits or their, you know, because the big one for people coming up was the venereal disease questions, you know, right? Right, but, but, but they're not asking to bust you out. They're asking because if you don't write down the truth, they can do something or give you some type of medication that, that can make situations worse or you can have an allergic reaction and die. Now, but, but you would think that's enough. We're being exposed when we fill out the form, right? Now, the thing about the form is you could, <laughs> you could write the truth or not, right? But when you go into that room and they say, okay, strip down. Like, they don't ask you, hey, 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 you, was you working out, this, that, and the other. As much as we're so prideful, it's amazing how the doctor's office, you can't be prideful, okay? Whether it's your colonoscopy or whatever else you have to do, ain't no pride involved, right? <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? So, so what? But what's not exposed can't be helped, right? You know, you, you can't, we always say this, you can't have trouble with your groin and try to show them your shoulder, right? You have to expose yourself. And this is, this is the thing. Fellowship keeps us in a place of exposure because you know how when you, you, you say you want to be behind the scenes? The thing about behind the scenes, you're not exposed, right? You know, it's the same thing like if you don't, like if me and Pastor Mel decides not to lead, we're not exposed. No one can, uh, we have limited responsibility or accountability. You know, I know some people that they, they're, they're, they're just, uh, they're just leaving church. These pastors, they're just, you know, they're leaving church. They're not leaving ministry, just leaving pastor. You know what they're saying to themselves. Well, you know what? You know, I got a pretty, pretty good reputation and, you know, you know, people like hearing me preach. I just preach, and I ain't got to deal with nobody's problems. <laughs> you know, that's what they're saying. They just, you know, well, guess what? What they're saying is, I don't, now I don't have to be exposed. Now I don't have nobody questioning everything I do and everything I say or challenging everything I do. I can just drive by this place, share a little word, go about my business, you know, go to Wendy's and have me a burger or something. You, you see what I'm saying? So, but, but when you decide to lead, when you decide to be a part of fellowship, you're deciding to be exposed. And, and, and this is the thing. We can no longer in the body of Christ, uh, we can no longer treat the kingdom people like pets. A lot of times we're treating kingdom people like pets. Responsibility without accountability. <laughs> you know, see, the thing is, with a pet, you have to be responsible because, well, you don't have to, but for the most part, you're responsible, right? You're going to make sure you feed them. Now, some of y'all whole schedules change because we got to be there <laughs> to feed, I don't know, uh, uh, Peppy or <laughs> Mikey or whoever, right? But the thing is, you're not accountable, are you? The pet can't, let's say you don't show up to feed the pet. What you going to do? What they going to dock your pay? <laughs> right? So, so well, a lot of times we treat people like pets. So we, 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 sometimes we deal with them in terms of a level of responsibility, but, but we're not accountable to them. We avoid the accountability. So we're treating them like pets because we're pets we're not accountable to. 
And so I was, I, as I was researching this out, just the power of fellowship and, and accountability and how accountability is important in fellowship, the Lord was showing me something. You know, like probably uh, like three out of maybe the, 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 the first few generations, a lot of these people built altars to God. Like you remember, like remember Jacob uh, when they descended it, and we saw the angels going up and down and he wrestled with the angel. Remember he built an a, a altar in Bethel and stuff like that. Remember Abraham built, a, built altars. Isaac built altars, right? And, uh, and they, they built these altars or these, uh, what do you call them? When they put the little stones and stuff like that up. Uh, well, we'll just say altars. We'll just leave it at that. But just, just as a monument to God. But you know what they were doing? They were establishing covenant. It was a place of accountability. They basically was, it was like, similar to a signature on a contract, they were engraving a contract. They were building this pillar or this, this, this platform and this altar here to say, hey, I, this is the place I'm committing to you. Like, this reminds me of the pact that I have with you or the covenant I have with you. And from this point on, you can, you can rest assured this is what you're getting from me, right? And, and so the interesting thing about this is they, 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 when they sense the presence of God and the move of God, immediately they, they attach themselves through covenant, commitment, and accountability. So it's almost like, 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 like you know how you don't want to lose something? So they're like, whoa, whoa, I, I have something here. I'm, I'm responsible, accountable, and I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm committed to it right away. Like, like not, yeah, taking it for granted. They knew enough to say, this is placing a demand on me to be in covenant. So, so they shifted from, they weren't operating not, uh, uh, in I'll get to that. They were operating in I commit to that. So, so, so when God showed up, they weren't saying, you know what, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to being at a place where I can flow with this, what you're exposed me to. They were saying, I commit to that. You know what else they were saying? I vow to that. So if you go back, you'll see a lot of people made vows. A part of them coming into fellowship with God, coming into fellowship as a people, they made vows. They started out committing to things. That, that's a key to accountability is making a vow. I want us to read Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23. Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23. Again, we're talking about the power of fellowship, and last week we talked about accountability. I just wanted to just, to just dive into it just a little bit more of what accountability really means and how it attaches to us really uh, not just driving by fellowship, but committing to fellowship, right? Look at this. It says, uh, I'm reading the Amplified again, a classic verse. It says, when you make a vow to the, to the Lord your God, you shall not be slack in paying it. It says, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and slackness would be sin in you. It says, but if you refrain from vowing, it will not be sin unto you. It says, the, the, it says, the vow which has passed your lips, you shall be watchful to perform. A voluntary offering which you have made to the Lord your God, which you have promised with your mouth. So it's saying, don't just be casually saying stuff. Like, you know, if you... If you, you know, I think the Amplified, I mean, uh, King James, if you, if you vow, vow, honor it, right? Honor it. Now, now, we're talking about the power of fellowship. Why are you talking about vows? Because, man, do you know to stay in fellowship, you have to commit. You almost have to vow. Look, uh, when we do our marriage ceremony and when me and Pastor Mel connected, we did what? Vows, right? That's a part of the ceremony. So for part of us coming in fellowship, is we had to vow. We have to commit to something, right? It, w- it wasn't just, hey, babe, I'm rolling with you. So that's the dangerous thing about, hey, don't get mad, but about uh, shacking up and just, it's just like we married. What vows we made? See, so that person really can, can uh, cheat and do all types of stuff because they never really vowed. They're not really committed. They're not really locked in the fellowship. As soon as something goes the wrong way, they can find another out, right? And then some people, they don't know the value of vows. 
you know, especially if you don't have a relationship with God. So they just be haphazardly committing to all types of stuff. But they, they don't, the corresponding actions don't line up with it. See, that's what he was saying here. If you vow something with your mouth, follow through with it. That's why you vow. See, that's why it's important who marries you. Because if, if you're before a, a man or woman of God, you're vowing unto God to commit to this person. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about marriage, but in any vow, any level of commitment. You know, uh, that's why, you know, uh, David said this in Psalm 119, 11. Y'all should know that one. What? That word have I hit my heart that I might not sin, sin against thee. You know that was a vow? He was vowing to put the word in his heart to stay in fellowship with God. See, sin is separating from God. What he says, the only way I'm going to stay connected I, I vow to stay connected by keeping the word, keep, keeping, my, keeping the word in it. It's something I'm committing to do because I know that's going to keep me in fellowship with you, right? I'm not playing with this. That's why some of us don't vow. We, see, why? We want to be prepared for the circumstances, the worst case scenarios we've conjured up in our mind. See, I'm not going to vow because if I, if I commit, then... The, this worst-case scenario that I've conjured up in my mind that may come up, I won't have an out. It could be the worst-case scenario, just in case this person, uh, you know, because people sometimes, uh, they try to be married, right? Just in case this person don't come through, I got an out to get out of this marriage. I got an out to get out of this relationship. I got an out to get out of this church. I got an out. See, so we don't vow because we're looking for things to fail. We're prepared to fail. It's amazing how some of us have faith for the unmanifested curse, but not the unmanifested blessing. It's amazing how we have faith for the unmanifested curse, but not the unmanifested blessing. See, see, so when I don't vow, I have faith that the unmanifested, never happened curse is go it could happen, so I want to be prepared for it. But when I vow, I have faith that the unmanifested blessing is going to happen. So that's why, see, I have faith that the unmanifested blessing was going to happen in my life in marriage to you, Melanie Bradley. So I vowed. I locked into that vow. It wasn't an option. I didn't go in. I wasn't crossing my fingers at the altar. <laughs> you, know, you know, back in the day, you cross your fingers. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't crossing my fingers at the altar. And no matter what came at me, I had committed. This is, hey. So, so now that helped us to navigate through tough, tough territory, storms and missed understandings because now we're playing off of the vow. So the vow is me, says I got to go deeper to find a way for us to harmonize and connect. See, I'm, I'm committed to this fellowship. We was at a church for 18 years because we were committed to the fellowship. And so whatever came at us, we were committed to the fellowship. When we leave, we transitioned to pastor. We didn't leave. We weren't disgruntled. We weren't, oh, oh, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. No, we didn't do that because we was committed. So that we were, we wasn't, listen, all types of people doing things and different things like that. We wasn't distracted by even what other people were doing because we were committed. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we vowed. We connected. This is what we're a part of. Right? And this is what we're going to do until God tells us to do something different. And then when God told us to do something different, we talked to the pastor. We didn't just like, and we weren't doing that behind the scenes. Everything we did when we started researching, hey, we're researching. When we started, I put together a two-year two timeline when I would visit certain pastors that planted churches already, and I, I gave them the two-year timeline. This is, this is, I'm going to be visiting this person. I'm going to be visiting that person. Everything. When we found out it was Charlotte, I told him it was Charlotte. I told him the supernatural way uh, uh, that we found out it was Charlotte. Every step of the way, I kept nothing a secret. Right? Because I'm, I've committed. I'm in fellowship. And then I transitioned. There's no ulterior motives. I didn't, I didn't slack. I did 150%. I didn't hold ideas for myself. I, Lord gave me ideas, I just sold it into the church because God don't have one idea. So, so what do you think happened? He gave me a harvest of other ideas. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't think this was special. I'm going to save this for when I do my thing. I gave it all. 
You know, that, see, but that's what happens when you vow and you're locked in. It's amazing. It's just amazing how we operate that way. You know, um, you know I, w- I, w- I was thinking through this. You can read through the whole story yourself, but this whole thing of committing and being in fellowship with God and stuff like that. But Genesis 28, 10 through 22 is, uh, is when, you know, again, jo- Joseph went through his process uh, when he saw the angels ascending and descending. But I, I just want to hire Marie, verse 16, for right now through that passage. It says, then Jacob awoke from, from his sleep, and he said, without any doubt, the Lord is in this place. And I did not realize it. That means he was there the whole time. But for whatever reason, I wasn't locked in, so I couldn't recognize him. He said, he says, so, so he was afraid and said, how fearful and awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gateway to heaven. Because remember, he saw the angels descending and ascending. And then that's when he, 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 uh, he established, you know, a monument there, an altar there, right? Because he recognized God was there, right? So he committed at that point to operate a certain way with God. Remember when, when, when the angel showed up, he wrestled with the angel, right? right? You know, he wrestled with the angel, right? You know, he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Like, because I'm, I'm committed to, I, I got to operate a certain way. I got to flow a certain way. And that's when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, right? Right? And so, so, I, so I thought about this even with Samuel when, when, when he was uh, uh, committed to the temple. It's, it's, the scripture says he was under a vow of abstinence from intoxicating liquor. It, he was to stay away from that which would dull his senses and cause him to be unaware of the things and events around him. So, so he, is, he abstained from anything that could disconnect him from fellowship with God. He was so committed that it changed his lifestyle. Or we, see, because we'd be like, you know, I love God. But see, that love looks like something. See, listen, I can tell you right now, I think we was talking, me and my wife was talking about this. We were talking about how, you know, people go through things and they commit to change, but they may commit with their mouth. But Mouth commitment don't change nobody. Actions do. So I can walk down that aisle and say, I commit to say, now I remember telling her dad, I said, your daughter's going to want for nothing. I can, I can talk all I want to. I still got to follow. I got to follow through. You see, I have to live a certain way that, that's lined up with that. When I decided to commit to God, I had to cut out things I used to do. We were talk, I was talking to a guy earlier. I said, you know, the challenge is people come into a covenant they bring a single life into a covenant world. They, 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 believe, they bring their, their, their childhood fantasies into a covenant, covenant world. They bring their single parent into a covenant world. They bring everything but covenant into a covenant world. Covenant is about covenant. You can't do what you used to do. Like, I can't be hanging with everybody I hung with before. I'm in a covenant. It's a, it's a whole nother flow. Guess what? I'm in a covenant with God. I can't do what I did before. And it's not a punishment. It's a wonderful thing. His commandments are not grievous. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, I'm not experiencing some things because I'm not all in. Don't be all in in a relationship right now. I guarantee you the other person is going to act funny. Just change. Don't tell them. Do it secretly. I guarantee they'll change. Test it if you don't believe me. You don't even have to tell them what you're doing. You can be as clandestine as you want to. Soon as your heart disconnected from the relationship, the whole relationship changed. You thought it was changed when you saw the results. No, it was changed when you changed when you shifted your heart. Bring some funk into a relationship and see what happens. Oh, I know you don't take my word for it. You're probably experiencing it right now. That's what it is. There's nothing, nothing can replace all in, but all in. We're gonna talk about that during the relationship boot camp. A little plug for the relationship boot camp starting in February. <laughs> <laughs> at this church near you, right? I, so, so, so this whole thing about him staying away from intoxicating liquors and stuff like that, see, these, these are vows. This is commitment. This is now I'm in, in, in fellowship, right? And, and, and why is this important? Because sometimes, um, a little excerpt from the book I'm working on, but 
But sometimes we could be, we could be lonely in a crowd. So, 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 so we're, we're in a crowd, but we ain't there. So, so I'll use me. I'm just going to use me right now. So I remember being around friends, family, and situations. I wasn't around them. I, I was in the room. Uh, it's, it's an old song. Uh, your body's here with me, but your mind's on the other side of town. I wasn't with, I wasn't with them because I was intoxicated. Keith wasn't with them. The impaired, uh, bitter, uh, uh, irritated, uh, watch what you say to me was in the room, but, but the genuine Keith wasn't in the room. I wouldn't allow him to show himself, right? And so, 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 so are you really in fellowship? Oh, one guy used to come to counseling, don't get mad. I ain't going to say your name, though. He used to come to counseling. We had a great relationship. But he would, he would get high before he came to, to the counseling session. He would smoke a joint before he came to the counseling session. And, and, and he was like, man, I, yeah, I can't even come to worship without smoking a joint. But he wasn't really in worship, was he? You see what I'm saying? He wasn't even in the counseling session. You understand what I'm saying? But some of us are like that. We're not really embracing his relationship. Let, let me hit these few scriptures here um, just to, to uh, give us some thoughts. Uh, so Proverbs 20, verse 1. It says this, it says, it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That can affect fellowship, right? Right? It, see, see, it's, 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 okay, let's go here, uh, chapter 23, verse 20. Chapter thir- 23, verse 20. Look at it. Look, look. It says, "Be not among wine bibbers, among riotous eaters of the flesh." Right. And then, if you drop down to verse twenty-nine, it says, "Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions?" It says, "Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, and they that." Go to seek mixed wine. So it's saying two different types of wine. It says, look not thou upon thy wine when it's red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. That's going to affect fellowship too. Right? All, see, see, again, if it's about fellowship, uh, let's look at uh, uh, Proverbs 31. We'll start at verse 4. Proverbs 31, verse 4. It says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. It says, Lest they drink and forget the law boundaries, and pervert the judgment, remember, proper, properly assessing folk, of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto them that are ready to perish, and wine to those of a heavy, that be of a heavy heart. It says, let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more, right? So the interesting thing is, so, so when it comes to fellowship, these things can cloud us, and most of us we, 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 we can't navigate through misunderstanding. So, I, so I'm going to give you a great uh, example. I was talking, to, I was talking to somebody, and they were talking to uh, one of their children, and for years the child hadn't spoke to them. And so when they finally talked to the child, the child uh, maybe had gone through uh, something in the past and thought the parent knew and just didn't care. Excuse me. So, thank you. So, so the so when they finally talked, when the when the the, the parent 
found out, you know, they broke down. And the child realized, wow, you didn't know all this time. But the parent was indicted, tried, with the assumption that surely you understand and you see. But they wouldn't understand unless it's been exposed. They wouldn't understand unless they w- there was a conversation. So I was in a situation recently where I thought about, when I think about people, I call them or whatever. So call the person, left the person the message. No, they, they, I think they're... Their, their voicemail was full, so I sent them a text. I said, just checking on you, see how you're doing, you know, pray, everything's wonderful for you. And so they says, well, I need all that prayer, and thanks for that. So who is this? Because my phone maybe didn't repopulate the, uh, the messages. And so I said, I gave the person my name. I didn't get no response. So I went to work out that day. Later on, I said, well, I noticed I didn't get a response. So I said, so I said one, this, either this is not the person or two, I might be missing something. Could be, person could be offended with me for all I know, but I wouldn't know why, wouldn't have a clue. Guess what, I'm not bothered, you know why? They ain't talk to me, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> I can't make up nothing, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have a clue. But that's, that's, that affects fellowship when we get in our own head, when we assume things, you know, as opposed to, you know, one of the things we talk about in a, in a relationship, boot camp, and stuff like that, you got to talk it through, man. Even though it's hard to talk about, even though it's uncomfortable, you got to talk it through, man, because some people just don't know. And even if they find out and they just use like, well, you should have known, based on what? One of the things I learned in my life, and I share this with a lot of people, some of us are very sharp. Some of us are sharper than we realize. But we, we sell ourselves short. We think if we see it, everybody does. Who says? Who's to say that you are, you could be one of the greatest minds in the world just because no one's assessed you as that don't mean you're not like that. Suppose no, they, no, no one doesn't see it. You're not going to tell them? You're going to assume because you, you, you have that level of quick recognition. And I had to realize this because I just get frustrated with people. Like, obviously, you have to see that. Everybody sees it. But what I was saying is everybody sees it because I see it. Assuming that if I see it, anybody can see it. Not knowing that, I may have a special ability to pick up things that other people can't see or stays in their blind spot. Right? That'll help us to fellowship better. Um, The other thing is, like, some of us are leaders, but we just don't want to take the responsibility for it. When you see stuff other people don't see, you're a leader. Well, well, I'm not comfortable with that. Leadership is not about comfortable. Leadership is about doing what's best for others, right? And sometimes we go through stuff and go through experience for others. When we understand that, then we won't be frustrated. Like, I don't understand why this happened. So you can experience this so you can be a better benefit to somebody else. That's why. A guy told me just recently, he said, man, Keith, listen, you, 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 you became, I was on the late train. He says, but you became a very good basketball player, but, but I couldn't have you play basketball. He says, I would never have gotten what I purposed you to do. He says, that, that culture, you try to master every culture you're in, you would have mastered a culture that would have compromised your fulfillment. And I couldn't do that. But I needed you to go through the experience so you can relate. You know, I needed you to go through the experience. So a lot of times it's, it's not about punishing us. It's about using us. All right? You're overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony. So we have to, you know, so, so me as a leader, once I accept my role in, in fellowship, I take on different responsibilities. So some of y'all, you want to be in position, but you don't want to, embrace the responsibility of what it takes to be in that position. You want to be elevated, but it costs something. You know, we have to uh, abstain from the intoxicating things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the word, the pride of life. We have to keep our spiritual senses alert. We have to be able to discern, to perceive between good and evil. We can't corrupt ourselves with that. It's Hebrew 5.14, right? We have to be able to discern between good and evil because we have to properly help people discern between good and evil. That's a benefit in fellowship. 
Sometimes we're not showing up in fellowship for what we can get. We're showing up for what we can give, but sometimes we haven't prepared ourselves to give it, right? We haven't set ourselves apart to give it. And so, so when we vow to commit to kingdom work first, we no longer play off a secular permissions to live in the clouded world of loneliness in the crowd. So when we commit to kingdom work first, the Bible says to keep first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we no longer play off a secular permissions to live clouded in the world of loneliness in the crowd. And so what I mean by that is, so I commit to kingdom work first. So now I'm playing off of, of, of what's the standard to stay in fellowship or to operate in the body of Christ. Not what's the standard to be comfortable in the world, because I could be comfortable in the world, and comfortable in the world is, only leads to loneliness in the crowd. That's, that's, so you're in the crowd, but you're lonely. So you work so hard to get acceptance from all these people, you know, whatever. It could be, uh, it could be your, your fraternities, your sororities, your business, sports, I mean, whatever. You work to get these props, right? Only to be lonely in the crowd. I interviewed a guy that, that won a major championship, a world championship. And I said, is it, is it what you thought it was going to be? He was like, no. Nah. He said, like, I just thought it would be so much euphoria. But, like, if you heard what people were saying, they should have did this and they should have did Now I can't believe this. He said, just, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I was played against a team uh, in this, this basketball uh, uh, league I was in. And playing the championship game, and we lost. We lost championship game. And so later on, uh, I was uh, talking, to the, talking to one of the guys, and he says, how can I become a part of your team? I was like, huh? I said, y'all just beat us. He said, man, you weren't in the locker room. He said, man, these guys in there going, well, I could have scored 30 of you to just pass me the ball, this, that, and the other. But I've been watching y'all. Before and after every game, y'all praising the Lord. We, we were playing in a secular league, but we were a church team. He says, and it's like y'all together no matter what. He says, I need that in my life. See, see, so, so it's, it's, sometimes it's bigger than, than our convenience and our comfort. You know, the Scripture talks about, uh, uh, well, you can write these Scriptures down, 1 Corinthians 15, 36 to 53, but, but basically, the, the backdrop of that is being planted. Like, being a part of fellowship is being planted. That's, what, that's why we're talking about vows and commitment is committing to something. And then once you're planted, you're buried. And then once you're buried, you're quickened. God resurrects you. And then, um, I'm saying, once you're planted, you're buried. Once you're buried, you're quickened or made alive. Once you're made alive, God resurrects you from there. But... Uh, and I don't remember the specific scripture, but it's within that list. It says, Thou fool, that which thou soweth is not quickened except it die. And that which thou soweth or buries, um, thou soweth not that body that shall be. So in other words, when I sow something, like when I sow a corn seed, it's in a, a seed form. That's the body of it. But that's not the body it's going to end up being. It's going to end up a corn stock. It's going to change. When I sow an acorn, it has a body. But once I bury it, what, what I get is not this little acorn. I get a huge oak tree. And so that's what it's saying. It's saying, it says, that which thou sowest, thou bearest, not the body it shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. So it says, like, if you sow that seed, you're going to get a, 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 some level of grain. But God giveth it a body, a new body. So how does that line up to fellowship? When you bury yourself, or the ground we're talking about is you bury yourself in the body of Christ, you bury yourself in church or whatever, in the fellowship, the person that you bury is not the person you'll end up being because you're in acorn form. But you're going to evolve in the tree form, but when you're buried. So if you take that same acorn and you just leave it on top of the dirt. Or you take that same acorn and... You, you put it, it was in the dirt for a while, then later on it was like, nah, I don't feel like doing this. It's uncomfortable, it's taking too long. I don't like the storms and the winds and the rains. Now nah, I'm not going, now nah, forget all that. You know, I'm just going to do something else. But you know what? I probably do need to be buried. Then comes back, gets buried all over again. It never grows, it never stays planted and rooted and buried until it's resurrected by God. 
And that's what we have to do. You know, uh, first, uh, first Chronicles tells us to offer ourselves willingly. And this is the biggest part of fellowship. So it's, it's, it's planet. It's getting to a place where we're planet. It's not fellowship if we're driving by. It's not fellowship if, if just because people rub us the wrong way. Every fellowship, people rub you the wrong way. In marriage, people rub you the wrong way. Teens, people rub you the wrong way. That's your opportunity to what we talked about last week, to walk in love. To you, when you're going to use it. Because get, get, believe it or not, people are using it for you. People are constantly figuring out how to reach you, how to connect with you, how to get inside you, how to find a fit for you. So they're using it for you. You're not comfortable for them. You're not welcoming for them. So when are we going to use it? That, that's what being planted is. And so, so uh, Psalm 92, 13, it says, They that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Um, so planted in his place to be rooted in his power, to flourish or release his power and authority in the earth realm is how we want to operate. And that soil in which we plant ourselves is the house of God. That's the soil. And this is the thing. Planet folk receive more consistent, sustaining nourishment in their roots. Planet folk receive more consistent, sustaining nourishment in their roots. And so that's why we opened up when we start talking about vows, because when you vow, you're committed and you're, you're covenant and you're you're planning yourself. You're, you're committing to stay locked in. And that's the hardest part for every level of fellowship in every level of our lives. I remember I used to leave jobs in a heartbeat. I was like, these fools don't lost their mind. I'm out of here. I was in college, and, you know, they had me working. Um, uh, they had me doing five people's jobs. It was food service. So you, you, had, you had a person on the belt, person received, get the stuff off the belt, put the stuff in the machines, somebody do the big pots and pans, whatever. Well, ain't nobody show up. I did like five people's job that day. And so I did, I did I, I, and I did it. I didn't even complain. So I'm leaving and the guy says, where you going? I said, well, it's time for me to go. He says, nah, nah, you got to do those, you, you know, pots and pans for like the pancakes and stuff like that. It's huge, you know, like, because you're serving, you know, all these people. I said, no, that ain't my job. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring you should, you should appreciate the fact that I did all these other jobs. He said, uh, nah, you're going to do what I tell you to do. I said, well, hey, you can have your shirt back. I'm out. You know? And uh, and guy asked me to come back because I was a hard worker. But I was like, nah, man, you know, y'all, y'all, y'all rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I, I forfeited fellowships, played for teams. Guy played me one day, yelled at me when the crowd was quiet. You know, because <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, we're losing. Like, why am I not in the game right now? And so, so then I said, so am I getting in the game? And so the crowd just happened to go quiet. I'm going to put you in when I want. And so everybody heard it. I said, okay. I said to myself, okay, got in the game, helped us to win the game. You know, cheat me all nights. But I said to myself, I'm done with y'all. I, I, I shouldn't have left the team. He just made a mistake. But I left the team, went play for another team. Because they saw what happened, man. You know, they ain't playing you right. Guy had me on the team first game. I played. Uh, we played the top team in the league. We beat the team. Next few games, I didn't play. Didn't play as much because he just wanted me on the team so he didn't have to play against me. So I kept playing myself, jumping around to different situations because they were uncomfortable. As opposed to staying planted and dealing with some of the storms and the weathers that you have to the storms that you have to go through to grow and to flourish. Look at these plants out here. Look at the weather didn't change. I ain't seen one tree running down the street. Man, this is crazy, man. This is Charlotte, man. I ain't moved to Charlotte for this. You know what I'm saying? But look, we didn't have a winter storm last week. I ain't seen not one tree go, oh, no. You got me twisted. I'm going somewhere. They stay. <laughs> that would be funny. But they stay, and they stay planted regardless of the circumstance. And, and, and that's what happens when you stay, when you're planted, you, you, you gain more nourishment because you're always connected. And this is the thing. Some people, uh, there's a scripture, people tell you, well, the sun, what is it? The sun rises on the just and the unjust. Ain't that the scripture? 
No, nah, I think it's, it's, it says the sun shines on the unjust and the, and the just. So that same sun is over the top of both of them, right? It might talk about the rain too, but this particular scripture talks about the sun uh, is, is rises on both the unjust and the just. But this is the interesting thing. The unjust, let's say the unjust are living on sand. So the unjust are living on sand, and they may be exposed to the same sun as the planet in soil. So the, so the planet, are, you know, planet in soil, the unjust are living on the surface of sand, right? But only the just produce fruit from it. See, you see the unjust living on sand, the, the sun's shining, but they're not in the right nourishment to produce fruit. Matthew's 5, what? Matthew's 5.45. Thank you, sweetheart. Right? And see, so the, but the just that are planted in the right soil, that sun's shining on them too, but guess what? They're in the nourishment to grow. And that's what fellowship does. It nourishes us. It gives us what we need to grow. And, and as I was reflecting on this, I shared this a long time ago, I play chess, right? And so I was just, I was, I was processing through uh, what it means to be planted in fellowship and stuff like that through the chess game. So the, uh, the chess game has what you call castles, right? So the castles is the house. That's our place of planning, right? That secures everything, right? Then you have knights. That's the security. They protect the anointing, right? <laughs> then you have the bishops or the priests or the intercessors, right? But then you have the king and queens. They're the direct connect to God. But you have the pawns which people don't think are important, but the pawns are servants, you know, equipped for the work of the ministry. But if the pawns don't stay together, they could get captured by other pawns or the opposite sex, right? <laughs> right? Because they, they, they got to stay together. You, the thing about playing chess, you don't want your pawn just to be out there. You want to keep it on a string. You keep, you, actually, everything has to stay connected on a string, right? You know, if they stay in order or in line with their protection or covering, they can make it to the other side, look, and be changed into another man. Right? Because if, if the pawn, if you, if you take care of it and it slips through all the way to the other side, when it gets to the other side, you can make it into a king. <laughs> right? But it got to get to the other side. But it has to navigate. It has to stay within the range of its protection. If it's outside of protection, it can get captured. And it never makes it to be a king. It's just a pawn lost, right? <laughs> right? If any of the king's men get out of line or out of order, they can be captured, which will eventually lead to what? The king's capture. Right? So everything has to stay connected. And that's how you do it. When you make moves, you're making move and you look at the range and with what's my proximity to all my other protections. So you make a pawn, the pawn could be protected by a pawn or it could be protected diagonally by a king or an angle of a bishop or, or directly by a rook or the queen because the queen has range, right? But you just don't be just moving a piece and just got it out here by itself. It can never get too far away from the, from the kingdom. And we're the same way. See, we can't get too far away from fellowship because we can get captured. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we get out there, we can get captured. And, and so, so I, I, I wanted to hit this angle of vows and connections and commitment and planting because fellowship has power. That's why the adversary works so hard to divide fellowship. He wants us isolated. He wants us to get to a place where we lean to our own understanding that everybody else is tripping. Well, in some cases, a lot of people are tripping because they don't have you there to help them not to trip. You know what I'm saying? In some cases, people don't know what's going on because they don't have you there to give them another angle. You know what I'm saying? So, so everybody's not, nobody shows up in our lives ready-made. That would be a wonderful thing. So I wish my coaches showed up ready-made, but they didn't. You know, I wish some of the people were assessing certain things that I had to do was ready-made, but they didn't. I wish the pastors, leaders, all these people were ready-made, but they weren't. And I remember when I met my wife, I told her, so we went through a stage where she would get in the car and get mad, get out the car and get mad. So one day I said, well, babe, help me to help you. 
Don't get in the car unless I open the door. Don't get out the car unless I open the door. I wasn't opening nobody's car door. I said, so just help me to help you. But I think if we start going forward in this power of fellowship, instead of getting mad first, help people to help us. Because everybody doesn't know you process that way. It's a unique process and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody doesn't know that rubbed you the wrong way or that's uncomfortable for you. Everybody doesn't know your standard of perfection because they may not have it. Everybody doesn't know your standard of excellence because they may not have it. Last example I'll give you, we started the church and I was trained at a church. Church starts on time. And I also was trained this. If, if there's 45, sec- 45 minutes on the clock, I got 45 minutes. If I go over by a second, I probably won't preach again. And if I do preach, it'll be some years. Because what? I wasn't, I didn't steward what I was exposed to. So anytime I got to speak, I paid attention to the clock. Like I didn't play around. But I looked at it as an honor. I wasn't casual. I didn't just go over because I felt that my emotions was important. If I didn't finish my point, at 45, when it turned zero, it was done, right? So when we started the church, we had an 8 o'clock uh, discipleship service and we had a 9 o'clock service. We was at the dance studio. So, hey, well, how was I trained? For 18 years, we started on time. So I told my wife, we started on time. Well, nobody was there. Well, nobody was there for the 8 o'clock, so you just figured that. And then the 9 o'clock, a lot of times people came late. Could have came 9.30, 9.40, you know, but I started on time. And then the Holy Spirit set me down and he said, uh, if you keep following your, your pattern, what you don't realize is you're going to be expecting people to understand stuff, but they only got 10 minutes of a sermon or 15 minutes of a sermon because you starting on time. So I had to shift and adjust the start time because the goal is for the people to get the information. And the Lord said, Keith, everybody wasn't raised at the church that you was raised at. You haven't had an opportunity to train these people. So how can you expect it? Just because, you know, someone been to church before, they, ain't go, they, they wasn't raised in the same excellence you have. So you're, you're frustrated. And, and I didn't handle it well all the time. Sometimes I got frustrated because I was like, why would, you, why, would this, why would this person do this? Why would they do this? Why would they do this? Because that's how my mind thinks. And the Lord had to keep telling me, and he tells me to this day sometimes, because they don't see it that way. You have to keep reemphasizing it, reemphasizing it, and reemphasizing it until it becomes a part of their default. This guy over here one day, so, so we was, uh, so the service was over, so he had my jacket. So he had my jacket, he grabbed my jacket, he just balled it up. It's like, I said, I said, I said, bro, I said, could you take care of the coat? I didn't get offended because I was like, he hadn't been handling jackets like that. So I said, okay, this is how you want to handle the jacket. I think, and one other time, I think he just threw it down, right? He just, so, so I asked him to do something. So he's in a rush to go do it. So he just threw, the, he just threw my jacket down. I was like, okay, so this is what you want to do. You want to fold it. I said, you want to fold it this way and, and lay it this way. And that way it stays, it won't wrinkle. But I had to understand that he wasn't, it wasn't like, man, forget your jacket, <laughs> even though it looked like that. <laughs> man, you ain't like my jacket? I'm just saying. But it was just that something he wasn't used to. So I had to keep walking him through, okay, this is, how you, this is what you want to do in this situation. There's a lot of stuff he's skilled at. That's something he just wasn't aware of. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> it was funny at the time. I looked, I was like, no, he just didn't do that with my jacket. See, but, but think about it. You can get mad thinking, like, it's almost as if he, he did it on purpose or he knew what to do or he's being negligent. No, he wasn't being negligent. You know, he just wasn't aware. He's naive. I'm going to have a conversation with my grandson about naivety and just expose to him what I went through. I made dumb decisions because I was naive. And I didn't want nobody to know I was naive. So if you saw me, I was aggressive. But I was aggressive like I knew what I was doing, but I really didn't know. So I missed opportunity when they questioned me. Instead of me going, oh, I didn't know, I was like, man, what I look like? So I, so I, so I broke Newark on them. As opposed to saying, all right, so, so why are you asking me this? I mean, I, I figured y'all didn't need me. You just happened with a team one time. Well, all I had to do was just come clean and just say, well, I ain't know because I haven't, I haven't this, hey guys, let me help you out to help me. 
this is my first time playing regulation ball. I mean, I know I'm in college, but I skipped some steps. So what you guys are used to me knowing, I didn't know. They chose me as a captain. I figured they picked the best person for the job. I didn't know it was special. You're a walk-on, and they chose you as a captain. You see what I'm saying? I was naive, but instead of exposing it so I could get the help I needed, I fronted like, man, y'all, what I look like? And I probably did worse than that, you know. And so some of us are doing that. We don't know stuff. We had people come to the church that didn't know stuff. I was like, right, you tell me what you don't know, and I'll, and I'll help you. But they acting like, nah, because I've been in this, this, that, and the other. You ain't got to go through all that, man. Like, that's the power of fellowship. We, gotta, we can expose ourselves, get what we need. But if you act like you know, people are going to treat you like you know. They're going to expect of you like you know. And you're going to frustrate them because they're going to be thinking, I thought you knew. When the whole time you could have just told me you ain't know. Right? Does that make sense? All right, I think I'll end it there. That's, that's enough. I had a couple of questions for y'all, but I'll just save that for next week.